spirituality and meditation are directed towards discovering and realizing qualities of serenity, of spaciousness, of peace within ourselves. The path of meditation is concerned with nurturing, compassion, understanding. And the whole essence of both meditation and spirituality are discovering a dimension of freedom within ourselves. It is the feeling often that these qualities are either underdeveloped or even absent in our lives at this time that it brings a person to the path of meditation. People come to meditation seeking some form of change. If everything was complete, fulfilled, serene in our lives, within ourselves, there would be very little motivation, very little energy or inspiration or need to undertake a spiritual path or a spiritual search. Certainly all of us have had moments in our lives of peace and serenity, both inwardly and outwardly. We've all had moments, times, when we felt to be very sensitive, open, receptive in our relationships with others, with nature, with, it, with ourselves. We've all had moments, no doubt, when we felt a degree of freedom inwardly, when we haven't felt to be limited by so many of the reactions, the projections, the distortions of the mind. And no doubt, we've all had moments, too, in our lives of stillness, when we felt a dimension of stillness inwardly, a stillness that brings openness and receptivity, a stillness that expands our vision, that brings a more enhanced vision in our relationship with nature, our relationship with ourselves. The significance and the preciousness of those moments when they arrive in our lives makes a deep impression upon the mind. They are treasured. They make a deep impression upon our minds, our feelings, because they give us some element of trust in ourselves. They give us some element of trust in our potential to live in such a way, to live in harmony with those qualities, to live in, which the, in a way in which those qualities are expressed in our lives. They give us some trust in our potential to live in a way which is free from dullness, from conflict, from confusion. Yet if we look at those times in our lives, we probably recognize that they are moments. They are transient. They are often very temporary in their appearance. And just as frequently, if not more, we experience the opposites of those qualities of serenity and peace and clarity that just as much our experience involves feeling restless, feeling discontented, that just as much our experience of ourselves and life involves confusion, reaction, defensiveness and pain. Because those moments have a beginning and an ending, because they take place in time, 
is so frequently looked upon as being an experience, an experience or some kind of state which can be gained. And spirituality and meditation is then often undertaken with the motivation of either achieving or regaining particular kinds of experiences or states that we seek for. Peace, the quality of peace is often seen as being the opposite of any form of restlessness or agitation within ourselves. Stillness, inner stillness, is often felt to be the total absence of movement. Stillness is often equated with there being the absence of thought, the absence of mind movement in any form. Serenity and peace are often seen to be the opposites of anything arising within ourselves which is in any way challenging or disturbing. And they are seen to be states, states of mind, which can be gained. And the path to gaining them or to achieving them or reaching them, in that path it's often felt to be necessary to get rid of the restlessness, to get rid of the movement, to get rid of the thoughts, to get rid of the feelings that arise within ourselves. And when we focus upon those particular experiences, and when we look upon them as being the opposites of our actualities, then it's very easy for our meditation to become directed solely towards achieving, towards attaining, towards gaining particular states of mind or experience. And we tend to have models, no matter how vague they, those models may be, of what should happen in our meditation, what kind of form our spiritual path should take, what kind of experiences we should have. And those models or images that we have sometimes are based upon our past experience, sometimes our models are an expression of unfulfilled wishes and desires, sometimes our models are based upon what we've heard from other people or read. You know, we've all read or heard these glowing stories of people's enlightenment experiences and dips in nirvana and all the rest of it. And in hearing all of this, we tend to create some form of image, some form of model of what should happen to us, what form our own meditation search should take, and what kind of experiences we should have. With those models and those images, there often comes in meditation a kind of excessive concern with experience, with getting particular kinds of experiences, with getting, with getting rid of ones that we feel shouldn't be taking place, that don't conform to our expectations, and with protecting the ones that we do have. And when that excessive concern with experience comes about, that concern in itself produces so much striving and so much forcing. That concern with particular models produces so much comparison, evaluation, rejection and denial of what's taking place in our meditation. And it's out of those models and our ideas of what should be 
that are born, that's born our notions of progress and regression, our notions of success and failure in meditation. And those notions of progress and regression, those feelings of succeeding or failing, in themselves breed so much resistance and so much conflict. The effects of chasing or pursuing particular kinds of experiences in meditation produces effects on our consciousness which, is, which are often the very opposites of the qualities that we seek for. If we have an image of peace as being the absence of anything challenging, the absence of any movement, then what happens when we encounter restlessness? What happens when we encounter agitation? What happens when we encounter anything arising within our, our meditation that doesn't conform to our image of what should be? So often then there's a feeling of, I must get rid of this. I must overcome it. I must avoid it in some way. There comes about this kind of movement of mind that is constantly striving to to change things, to make things different within ourselves, to modify and to manipulate what's taking place. And I don't know if you've noticed, but every time you reject or deny the actuality of your experience in the moment, there's tension, there's dissatisfaction, there's a growing feeling of discontent with what is. And those feelings of tension, dissatisfaction, discontent, are obviously the very opposites of what we have been trying to maintain, what we've been trying to achieve in the meditation through the resistance and through the striving. It simply doesn't work to try and get rid of actuality. It simply doesn't work to pursue a path which in any way involves denial or rejection of what is. It simply doesn't work not being able to accept and to be open totally with sensitivity to what is actually taking place within ourselves. Meditation, the actual experience of meditation, is often perceived as being some kind of altered state of consciousness in which one sits down and you're filled with bliss and with light and with serenity and there's nothing really arising within ourselves which creates any form of challenge or disturbance. It's nice as an ideal and it's nice as an image but what happens with our relationship to ourselves when we sit down and our actuality can seem to be the very opposite of our ideal? Often there is reaction, there is comparison. There's a feeling that we will become still or we will become aware after we've got rid of our thoughts, after we've got rid of the feelings, after we've got rid of whatever mental states are taking place within ourselves. Sensitivity, too, is often perceived as being some form of experience. And we sit, we may find ourselves reacting, we may find ourselves feeling angry or feeling defensive. And then again, because of the image, because of the model, there comes about the kind of 
justification, the need to modify, the need to somehow justify what is taking place within ourselves, I would be sensitive if only, or I could be sensitive if only, which perpetuates, of course, this feeling of resistance, this feeling of creating a barrier between ourselves and what is, and that very barrier in itself is an act of insensitivity towards ourselves, is a relationship of insensitivity towards the moment. A relationship to experience in meditation elsewhere in our lives I feel is an ongoing source of problems. It's an ongoing source of difficulties and conflicts. If we have a difficulty in relating to what is, in openness and sensitivity to what is, then that resistance is of course transferred to meditation because of course we don't have in any way a special mind here. And there's not a single pattern or tendency that takes place in our life that won't come up in meditation. We find ourselves looking for experiences that we don't have and want. We find ourselves trying to get rid of experiences that we do have and don't want. And we just as much find ourselves trying to protect the experiences that we want And so this clinging and attachment to a particular way of being, it's a problem which creates endless forms of unhappiness, of disillusionment, of conflict. Just as we transfer our patterns and our tendencies to meditation, we also transfer a lot of the mythology that we hold in relationship to life. We have often an ideal of happiness. And as we go through life, we may find ourselves substituting one ideal of happiness for another. There's a certain mythology that's upheld in our society that happiness can be equated with having. Having things, having states, having experiences. Externally, we see how much power that mythology has. That often it's felt that if I had the ideal relationship, if I have the ideal job, if I have the ideal lifestyle, then I'll be happy. Yes, and that mythology motivates so much of the pursuing, so much of the ambition, so much of the acquisitiveness that goes on in our world. And of course, it never stops there because we're all subject to to media, to conditioning of our peer groups, of, of so many different sources. And constantly pumped into us is this feeling and this idea and myth that to have is to be happy. To have the new car, to have the degree, to have this particular kind of personality, to have this particular presentation to the world. And so often, this kind of nonsense goes on and on and on. And at a particular point in our lives, we probably become quite disillusioned with that myth. 
you come to realize the emptiness of the myth that happiness can be equated with having anything at all. And yet despite our disillusionment with that myth outwardly, it's still a myth which holds a lot of power in the field of spirituality and meditation. There's often the feeling, well, if I could just have that one big flash of insight, my problem would be solved. If I could just have that big experience of real calm and real serenity, my restlessness would end. If I could just have my own particular enlightenment experience under the, my own Bodhi tree, then all my problems would be solved and I wouldn't need any more to have experiences or to go after particular states of mind and could somehow lapse into some form of enlightened retirement. We invest our experiences with power. Invest our experiences with a tremendous amount of power because we do tend to evaluate and judge ourselves on the basis of the kind of experiences we have. We tend to evaluate our own worth on the content of the experiences we're able to get, on the content of the experiences that we're unable to get. And our experiences, <clears throat> the experiences that we deem worthy of getting, self themselves are based upon our own models, our own images, our own desires. If we have a good, a good experience, be it in relationship, be it in meditation, be it in work, there's no doubt that we tend to feel good about ourselves. If you come here in here and you sit and everything works really well and you manage to follow your breath and your body's comfortable and you go through 45 minutes without discomfort or restlessness, you evaluate it, no doubt, as a good experience. And yet it's rarely left there, yet that was a good meditation. Invariably, somehow it's carried over that I'm also a good meditator. If we come in here and we sit and we have a so-called bad meditation, it's very rare, probably, that we're able simply to walk out of the meditation room and leave it behind and simply be able to say, yes, the meditation didn't go terribly well, my attention was quite poor, Instead, there tends to be a whole level of investment in that experience that I am a bad meditator. And what is a bad meditation? Or what is a poor meditation? So often the bad meditation is the meditation that doesn't conform to our idea of what should be. So the bad meditation is one where there may be feelings, there may be thoughts, there may be moments of inattention. The bad meditation is one that doesn't conform to our expectations of what should be or our model of what meditation is. When we have the so-called good meditation, then that experience is often taken to be a sign of progress, a sign of somehow getting deeper, getting higher. We see we can't separate often 
our own sense of ourselves, our own image of ourselves, our own vision, our own identity from the contents of the experiences that we have. The problem, too, is not just in being able to get a particular kind of experience that we want. The problem is not just either in just getting rid of experiences that we have and don't want. The problem also arises in our desire to protect our experiences. So often you come into the meditation room and if you have one of these so-called good sittings, if you are so lucky throughout a day, and so often there immediately arises a feeling, well, I mustn't lose it. I must be able to hang on to this someone. And so a person sits longer. Very, you can be sure that if you walk out of the meditation room and you see people still sitting there, you can be sure they're not sitting there having a so-called bad meditation. So often there's that feeling, aha, this is good, I must somehow prolong it. Immediately there comes that kind of attachment and clinging to it. Walking out of the meditation room feeling, well, I mustn't look at anybody, I mustn't sort of do anything quick because I might lose it. And of course, in the very trying to protect a particular kind of experience, what happens, we do lose it. Whether it's in meditation or whether it's in relationships, we may have a very vital communication with someone. We may have a relationship where there's a really strong feeling of connection and love. And immediately the mind comes up with that feeling, I have to hold on to this, or I must protect this in some way. And immediately the whole vitality of the, ex- of the actual connection is gone. And one is left with this kind of shell that we're trying to protect. I remember in... India, I went through a period in my own practice of sitting where I have this feeling that if you didn't kind of take hold of an insight, you were going to lose it. So I used to fill up these notebooks with insights, very kind of devotedly writing down all my insights, then to send them home, you know, so that in case I lost them, I could go back sometime in the future and remember my insight. shows my relationship to meditation. Of course, all my insights got lost in the mail. Which at the, at the time produced this kind of profound effect that I've lost my insight. <laughs> now, obviously, if one can lose one's insight, lose one's love, lose one's connection, lose one's good sitting, it was not even ours. Hmm? The actual moment to moment connection with it, the vitality of it, is already lost. And even now, if I could pull out my books of insight, I would probably find them really quite meaningless. Letting go, being able to let go of our desire for experiences, being able to let go of our protection of experiences, is probably one of our greatest challenges, not just in meditation, but also in our lives. To be able to walk into the meditation room without any kind of expectation, without any kind of model, without any kind of image of what should be, realizing that any experience that we have has a beginning and so therefore also has an ending. And it is in being able to let it go, it is in being able to let things finish. It's in being able to leave things behind that have already finished. That it's only in that letting go, that leaving behind, that there is the freedom really to be present.
It's only in that leaving behind that there, there, there is a freedom to be really conscious in this moment. The desire to have a particular kind of experience is basically in order to satisfy the experiencer because we evaluate our worth, our image, our identity on the basis of our experiences. And yet the very nature of the experiencer is that it is never satisfied. There's always one more thing I need, one more thing I must have, one more experience I've heard about that I haven't yet experienced that seems very necessary in order for me to be happy. And so this experiencer that rests upon its experience for its worth is always in this kind of desperate search for more, to have yet something else that hasn't yet taken place in order to satisfy this feeling of dissatisfaction, this feeling of there being something missing or absent within ourselves. The myth is not just in feeling or believing that having experiences equals happiness. The myth is also in our very images of experiences. Serenity doesn't mean the absence of anything challenging. Living in the present and being conscious in the present doesn't mean that past and future never arise. Being fully clear and fully conscious doesn't mean that we don't have any tendencies or patterns arising within ourselves. Being aware doesn't mean that that is a state that begins after the dance of the mind stops. And freedom, a sense of inner freedom, is certainly not a state that can be divorced from the totality of seeing clearly in the moment. Peace and serenity is the capacity to be totally with what is, without resistance, without prejudice. Peace and harmony, serenity, is our capacity to live in accord with actuality, to be total in the moment with whatever is arising, without rejection, without denial, without prejudice. Being conscious, in the present, being fully in the present means that that is a dimension of consciousness which can accommodate past memory, which can also accommodate future plans without that element of investment in either which makes them a bondage, which makes them a limitation. Awareness is a way of seeing, it's a way of being which doesn't give undue significance to the contents of experiences, but it's a way of seeing in which there's a sense of being established in that richness of seeing, in the sensitivity and the openness and the receptivity that awareness is, which doesn't make any distinctions, which doesn't make any separations, which is not a sense that I am aware of this and I'm aware of that. There is just the seeing, and freedom is certainly not a state that's achieved when we manage to get rid of things. It's a way of being total. 
It's a way of seeing the false as false and being able to see the truth of each moment. Yet so often, freedom is perceived as some form of separate state. Inner freedom is seen as some form of experience that we have. And we ha- when we have this state to be gained or this, this experience to be achieved, then we obviously look for a path to it. And freedom is often seen to be dependent on making ourselves perfect, on changing ourselves, on modifying who we are. We see that there can exist this enormous gap. Spirituality talks and emphasizes qualities of peace, of understanding, of freedom. We may feel that the actualities of our lives hold the opposites of these qualities. We may feel to be limited. We may feel to be very unworthy. We may feel to be filled with kind of hindrances. And when we look at that gap that exists between these ideals and our actuality, then it often felt, it is often felt that these things that we experience in terms of feeling, in terms of thought, in terms of emotion, are imperfections that prevent us being free. And so it is then often, what seems rather logically assumed, that we will become free by getting rid of these imperfections. And it's a path which can involve so much self-judgment, trying to become more generous, more accepting, more loving, trying to become less defensive, less reactive, less angry, always trying to manipulate, to modify who we are, which often breeds such a feeling of failure. And spirituality is often seen as being this kind of struggle, a struggle to become better, a struggle to become a more perfect person, a struggle to substitute one kind of labor for ourselves for another. And spirituality is often perceived as being this kind of inner war, where we have these unwholesome qualities or these negative qualities that somehow threaten to overwhelm or to overpower the more wholesome qualities within ourselves. And then our whole path of spirituality, our whole path of inner development can be filled with such kind of judgment, can be filled with so much rejection, can be filled with these kind of images that we're striving for, trying to achieve. It is a kind of struggle and a kind of path which I fear really has very little to do with spirituality. It has a great deal to do with a kind of path of self-improvement. And yet who are we improving ourselves for? Spirituality is not the whole path of meditation, is not to try and become something is not to try and get anything, is not to try and get rid of things. And it's so important that that is understood on an intuitive level. Meditation is much more concerned with a way of nurturing. If we're always trying to get rid of, to reject, to deny, we're constantly evaluating and judging ourselves. And we give really so little emphasis to this whole quality of nurturing. By nurturing sensitivity, 
in the moment by nurturing a sense of being awake and being conscious in the moment, by nurturing a sense of clarity and connection in the moment, there is born within us an environment which is sensitive. There is born within our own consciousness a sense of spaciousness, of gentleness, of openness and receptivity. And it's in that nurturing of those qualities that there comes about the end in this, of this kind of belief of having to become someone else. Because one sees in that environment of openness and receptivity that these labels and descriptions and belief systems about ourselves simply don't make any impact. And so there's not the clinging, and so there's not the need to reject, there's not the need to deny, nor is there the need to become someone different. And there's a kind of movement away from judging ourselves by the content of our experiences to really being established inwardly in this sense of openness, this dimension of sensitivity in which there's a real dimension of freedom because there's not that investment in images, there's not the limitation of belief systems. As long as that struggle is going on in our meditation, then meditation quickly becomes this kind of path of misery and it's an association that many people have with meditation. You know, it can seem terribly heavy and terribly kind of miserable and terribly intense. And often there's this feeling that the more miserable you are, the better you're doing. Or that the more you're suffering, the kind of deeper you're going. And it's often happened probably less here in the West, but certainly in the East, in many retreats I've gone, there's been a certain envy of people, you know, who are really absolutely look wretched and, and, and miserable. There's a feeling, well, they must really be coming to grips with things. They're really working on their hindrances. And yet it's such a myth that this kind of intensity and this kind of miserableness in meditation can be equated with progress or depth. Meditation, I feel, very much needs to be a path, yes, of being clearly and honestly with what is taking place within ourselves. But it needs also to be a path of joy because there's very little energy to sustain meditation if it does resemble taking a dose of foul medicine that's going to do you good at some future date. It needs to be, I feel, a path of joy. And to be a path of joy, it needs to be approached in a way of appreciation, in a way of gentleness, in a way of clarity. And there is joy. There's not joy as some kind of result of hard work. Joy doesn't come necessarily as a, an end product of being miserable. Joy comes in seeing clearly. You know, even if you're being with really hard things within yourself, even if you're being with really painful things, if you have a sense within yourself that you are clear with them, that you are accommodating them, that you're understanding them, there is joy. You can sit and you can have restlessness arising, you can have agitation arising, but to be aware that there is restlessness, to be aware that there is agitation, and to have a relationship with them which is clear, embracing, sensitive, rather than rejecting and denying, means that even with those experiences, even in the midst of those experiences, there's a sense of serenity. 
there's a sense of peace. You can sit and you can have feelings arising and, and painful memories and difficulties arising. But if in the midst of that arising, there's a sense of learning from them, there's a sense of being able to accommodate them, then there is joy in the practice. Not as some kind of future ideal to be achieved or to be attained, but as a benefit of the practice that's experienced as you practice. And those benefits are so much in our approach to meditation. So often we relate to peace and serenity and understanding as results. But they are not ideals to be gained. They are a way of living and a way of practicing and a way of being. It's in our very approach to ourselves, our relationship to ourselves, and our relationship to the moment that there is peace in the midst of movement, in the midst of activity, in the midst of difficulty. There is peace if there is that capacity to be with what is. And meditation is so much a learning an understanding of that most fundamental and yet often that most difficult lesson to understand, that peace is being with what is, without prejudice, without resistance, without rejection. There comes in that a falling away of the need for models, the need for images, the need to become somewhat different. And there comes an increasing freedom and capacity just to be. May all beings live with serenity. May all beings live with sensitivity. May all beings live in peace. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.